Amen. Well, we're going to be starting a new sermon series this week where we're going to be exploring the realities of spiritual warfare. Uh, We're going to actually break this up into three parts. Uh, This first part, we're going to look at the reality of uh, the enemies that we face uh, living here in this time, in this age that we live in. Uh, We're going to look at the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, But then we're going to also look at the weapons that God has given us to uh, stand firm and not retreat in the battle that we're in. And then part three of this series, we're going to look at the victory we have that's in Jesus Christ. But today our main focus is going to be on our enemy, the world, our enemy, the world. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to 1 John chapter 2. And we're only going to look at three verses in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So there's three major points that follow along with these passages in 1 John 2. The word of the Lord says this to us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. You know, in our culture, there's a saying that says that all that glitters uh, isn't gold. But the reality is, is that many people chase after those things that are so shiny and so glittery, glittery in our culture. In fact, there are many who chase after these things and end up going after the things that actually have no value. Getting to the end of their life and recognizing they put value in the invaluable. The Word of God, as Paul Tripp likes to say, meets us on Front Street. That means that the Word of God meets us right where we are. It meets us in the very common, everyday part of our lives. The danger now, as it was 2,000 years ago, is this, is the clueless, blind, and sleepy Christian. What I mean by that is this, the Christian who does not see that we're in the middle of a war. The Christian who does not see themselves as a good soldier, a kingdom citizen with allegiance to the kingdom of light and no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness. Yet in this battle that is unseen, we feel it. We know that it's there. We recognize that we are in this battle because we live daily in the outpouring of the battle that is going on around us. Yet the Lord has given us tools. He's given us wisdom and calls us to stand Now, one major thought we're going to see through this series is that we as Christians are in a spiritual battle, that we're in a battle with the things that are unseen. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we have victory in Christ. So we're in this battle, but we also have victory that's found in Jesus. And as the enemies of Christ seek to deceive and seduce and frustrates us, God calls us to be alert. He calls us to stand firm in this battle that we're in. So today we're going to look at the reality of the world, how the world system, this world that we're in, really seeks to lure us away. And that is our first point. Point one comes right out of verse 15. It's very succinct. People of God do not love the world. In fact, in the scripture, language matters and words matter. And so we see in Scripture sometimes some of the biggest misunderstandings come from people not reading it in context or not understanding what certain words mean when they were written to that first century audience. And so we want to look at the context of what John is saying here to understand why the Bible says we should not love the world. Notice this is an imperative here. 
It's a command. It says, do not love the world. Now, if you read the verses right before this, John writes of the assurance of the believer. He writes of the assurance of those who are truly in Christ, that as true followers of Jesus, that they can have the assurance of this victory that's found in Christ. We see this in 1 John 2.14, where it says, I've written to you children because you've come to know the Father. I've written to you fathers because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. And look what it says. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. So John doesn't give us even like a therefore in this transition. He just jumps right into it and makes this statement. He says, look, don't love the world. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, you've conquered the evil one. No matter where you find yourself, young, old, no matter how long you've been in Christ, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have victory over the evil one. And so he says to them, don't love the world. Now, this can be kind of confusing, especially when you look at the context and you say, well, is he contradicting the words of Jesus? Because Jesus says, for God so loved the world. So is he saying, don't love the world? Saying, what is he saying here? Well, the word here in the Greek is the word cosmos. It's where we get the words, word cosmetics from. It's essentially saying it's something that is ordered. They ordered or, or designed. Yet in the Greek language, this word cosmos can have several different meanings. In fact, the world, as we read in the New Testament, can mean planet Earth. It could also mean all of humanity uh, or the world order, the system that is in rebellion against God and that stands condemned. Now, John here deals with the word cosmos, the system that is against God. The world system is what John speaks of here, that the, the, the persons that in the system that is against God, that are in line or in allegiance with the evil one. In fact, we see this in a text in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Notice it says that the God of this age has blinded the hearts of those who are in this system. Now, it's easy for us to look at other people who and say, look how blind they are. But the reality is all of us once were in this category, blinded by the God of this age. So none of us can boast about where we see or where we were. No, we were blind in our sin. And if it wouldn't have been for the grace of God, we would still be in that place. The Bible tells us that the God of this world, the God of this world system, the adversary, the evil one, Satan, he's the one who's orchestrating these things. So as we look around our world, it should not be Christians who are surprised when we see evil among us. We understand what that is. We understand that it is in this world system that the devil is orchestrating the evil around us. Martin Lord Jones said this about the evil one. It says, he keeps himself in the background, but nevertheless insinuates ideas into individuals and nations. So this unseen enemy, right, is in the background. The unseen enemy there is working and, and doing these things to, to force people against the Lord. And the enemy is hostile to all things of God and the people of God. In fact, we don't have time to jump into the second part of this view of the world as our enemy when it deals with persecution. But we're talking about this moral world system that tries to lure us away from living for the Lord. In fact, Michael, Dr. Michael Heiser writes about the evil one is that he, is the, he was the first divine rebel. 
cast out and down to earth. If we want to know what's going on in our world, we don't have to look much further than to see that there is an adversary at work among us. In 1 John 5, 19, it says this, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. The reality is in our culture, especially among Christians, many times Christians are afraid to say that one, that sin is the root of so many problems that we see in our world. But we see here in this text that, yes, the world is under the sway of the evil one. So we should never be surprised that the world is doing what the world does. Before coming to Christ, we all found ourselves in the same predicament. Scripture tells us that we were slaves to sin, bound by our fleshly desires. And our master was our sin, the flesh. And we lived for the evil one. We lived in the kingdom of darkness. We were under his sway, following his lead. Yet in Christ, we've been set free from the kingdom of darkness and now belong to the kingdom of, God, of the light. Look at Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It tells us very clearly what Jesus has done. He says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You're going to see a common theme as we walk through this, this whole series. It's the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And here's the thing. It's not that they're on equal parring at all. Because the reality is the kingdom of light has already overcome the kingdom of darkness. And this is why we as believers have to understand how God has called us to live in this world. So the world system, this world system and all those who find their place, their home in it, already stand condemned. Why? They belong to the kingdom of darkness. They stand as enemies of God. So we understand that God loved the world, the cosmos. But what cosmos? What is this word saying there? Did God love the, the system? Did he love the evil? No. He loved the people associated with the world system and estranged from God. He loved the people of the world. This is why the Bible tells us when Jesus came, it was indeed a judgment on the world. See, every person stands condemned if they're not in Christ. In fact, Jesus said this in John 3, 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Why? Because you're standing in him. You've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So guess what? No longer does condemnation rest on you. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said this, to be friendly with the world is treachery. You hear that, to be friendly with the world is treachery. The reality of uh, being friendly with the world is now saying, I'm coming against the kingdom of God. I'm coming against the kingdom of light. I'm standing against the Lord. James 4.4 4 gives us this clear picture. It says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. When you're brought from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light, we're no longer friends with the world. We're no longer friends with Satan. We have severed that relationship, and now we're, we've been set free, so we no longer desire to go back to the kingdom of darkness. Well, what is John saying here? He's saying we're called not to love that which God hates. We're called not to esteem that which God condemns. I think we just read in Scripture, if the world system is under the sway of Satan, why then would those who have been set free from the kingdom of darkness desire anything from it? No, we desire the things of God. We only want the good things that come from the Lord and being in the kingdom of light. But think about it. How many godless and even demonic, satanic ideas do Christians adopt that are often rooted in the kingdom of darkness and not the kingdom of God? And sometimes Christians use these things and they put them under the guise of being relevant or seeking to reach the world. You have to recognize Jesus never forsook biblical truth and he never forsook compassion. He did both of them. God calls us to be a compassionate people, to stand on truth without forsaking it. We can do both for the glory of God. Now let's look at this idea of love. Let's see what is being said. First, we must see that God is the one who created the world. Man rebelled against God, aligned themselves with the works of the, and the ways of the evil one. Yet John is not saying that the creation is evil. No, God created the world, called it good. He's not saying the, the creation is evil. No, we see much beauty in the physical world. In fact, as Christians, we hold and believe that Christ is coming back one day to restore even the broken world we live in. No, we can see a distinction. It's the world system, the moral world system that is corrupted by sin. In fact, we see this reality that God tells us, look, that's the thing we're called not to love. Now, the text tells us not to love the world, and he uses this, this verb here, gapo, right? He, he says, look, he says, don't love the world, but instead love the Father. Now, this word love there is two different meanings, right, based on the context it's, it's using it. And this could be translated, don't take a fancy to or place a higher value on the world. Where should our love be placed? In the Lord, upon the Lord, looking to the Lord. John is saying clearly for us, where are you placing your love? Where is your love placed? Are you misapplying love? Are you loving the wrong things? You want to know how we receive victory over sin in this life. It is placing our love more on God than on the thing that we're going after. So instead of lusting after this world, instead of having our desires go after this, no, we desire the Lord. That's how we have victory over sin. We're saying, Lord, I love you first above all things. One commentator said this, because the Father's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of this world, the two will never peacefully coexist. To pledge allegiance to one side is to declare opposition to the other. See, in case we didn't get the memo, John writes that not only are we not to love the world, but he says the things in the world. He goes on to say, look, if you're out here loving the world, this is sobering news. The love of the Father is not in you. Psalms 97.10 the scripture really lays it out for us. You who love the Lord hate evil. We're often taught, like, you know, not to say, you know, hey, we hate things. But the, the Bible tells us that, guess what? When we love the Lord, therefore, we're going to hate those things that are evil. 
We love God. We hate those things that are evil. But then in Psalm 119 and 104, it says this, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. So we want to love the things that God loves. Hate the things that God hates. The more we love God, our sincere affection is for Him. The more we hate the things He, he does, the more we love God, the more we become like Him. This is how we win in this world. We love his kingdom more than politics. We love his kingdom more than racism. We love his kingdom more than sexism, more than money, more than notoriety. We love his kingdom more than pleasing people. The Christian is called not to hate the created human world. This is not what we're called to hate. We're not called to hate those who are lost in, in their sin. Why? Because we once were there as well. We were once in bondage to the evil one. No, we're called to hate the system of evil that is opposed to God. This satanic, sinful, dominated, evil system. Think of your own life. Think of your own life. What views, ideologies, beliefs, practices do you have that don't line up with the will of the Lord? That's something you're going to wrestle with. What are things that you hold to that... God does not. And the second part is this. Are you loving that which God hates? Are you loving the things that God hates? Are you living in this world with a clear reality that this world is not your home? These are things that we as Christians have to wrestle with. Satan, the ruler of this world system, even uses those who are slaves to sin within this system to advance his wicked agenda. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you, talking about us, the, the us is here, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Listen to this, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. But look at verse 3. It really lays out for the reality of the human condition. We too all previously lived. That means we made our home, our abode there. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. See, we can't look at our neighbor and say, see, you know, I can't believe you were in that sin. Because because guess what? You were right there with them. Your sin may be different. Your lifestyle may be different. But you were in the same camp that they were in. You were in the same kingdom they were in. Yet it was the grace of God. It was Jesus Christ who came and snatched you out to set you free from the dominion of darkness and brought you into life in him. How do we know this? Philippians 3.20. It tells us this very clearly. Our citizenship is in heaven. So now we come from this kingdom of darkness where we once lived and once made our whole home there to now come to a citizenship that is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we live here in this world system as kingdom citizens for his glory, living in a manner that gives him glory while living in this world that is against God. But this is what we see in our second point. The world, though, utilizes weapons. Look at verse 16. For everything in the world, and he lays it out for us. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father. But look where it's from. It's from the world. Do not love the world. We, we get that and we see it. But for many people, they want a list. They want to say, okay, tell me what I can't do. No, we don't have to do a list because the scripture is timeless. It's the same truth that was relevant 2,000 years ago. It's relevant now. In fact, the weapons the, the world is using, it's been using them for the beginning to trip people up. So God gives us the overview of things we should avoid, the things we have to be mindful of. So John lays them out for us. He says the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. And this actually sounds like a TV show. It sounds like a hit TV show that, will be, uh, that we will watch. See, the aim here for the Christian, though, is not to isolate the aim of the Christian is not to isolate or hide out until Jesus comes. We don't go and just hide in these communities and say, you know what? We're going to create a Christian community. We're going to hide off in there until Jesus comes back. And then that is what's going to keep the world out. Well, that is not what Jesus is aiming for us here. No, the aim for our lives is to live in holy boldness. To live in the power of Christ. To stand firm in the victory of Christ. To move forward and not retreat backwards. In fact, there is no sign of retreat for the Christian. And that's what causes problems everywhere Christians go. Christians go. Because Christians never are quiet. We're always advancing. We're always loving the broken. We always are caring for the widow and the orphan. We're taking in children that are outcasts. We're telling women, hey, look, and men, don't abort your children because God loves them. We'll take those children in. We're loving the one who is in this sin and that sin and saying, Christ loves you. Come to him. Christians do not retreat. We stand firm and move forward in the gospel. See, we can cut everything out in the world. But guess what? We still live in the world. And we live in this world for one purpose, to glorify Christ in the midst of this world system. We live, though, as those who understand when we see brokenness, sickness, tragedy, the things around us, we know the root. We know where it's coming from. And so as Christians, we should not be wondering and surprised when we see the world being the world on the news or in front of us. In fact, Jesus said this to his disciples in John 17, 15, and 16. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. If you want to know the thing we should be praying is that, Lord, protect us from the evil one. God, help us to stay, stay steadfast and immovable. Help us to remain firm in what we believe while we're in this world system. Why? Verse 16, they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I love that. You see the whole kingdom agenda there. That's going to be a, a key uh, a phrase you're going to hear over and over that we are a part of a different kingdom that is against the kingdom of this world. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, it says this, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Now, many Christians often take that and run with it and say, see, look, he said not to associate with any sexual immoral people, but look what it says in verse 10. I did not mean the immoral people of this world, this world system. Why? Because, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, look what the Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you would have to leave the world. 
God has not called us to leave this world. God has left us in this world to engage with those around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're called to stand firm in the truth and not be swayed this way or that way. The people that the scripture tells us to avoid having an association with are those who profess Christ but live anti-Christ. Those who profess to love Jesus but live in sexual morality, who live in greediness, who live as swindlers, who live as, as idolaters. Those are the ones we're called not to associate with because why? We don't want to give a rubber stamp of approval to say, yeah, it's okay to live this way and yet say you're following Jesus. So then, what should we not love? First, the lust of the flesh. This word lust, we don't hear much about anymore, but in the Greek, it's the word uh, epithuma. It means the desire or lust. And the Greeks use this term to mean excitement about something in a, in a neutral sense. Or then it's also used in an evil sense of wrongly valuing earthly things. In the scripture, we see good desires or godly desires, but we also see that there are desires of the flesh or evil desires. So desire is not bad, right? There's godly desire and then there's sinful desire, fleshly desire. We're called to walk in godly desire. We're called to have our desires changed, to have godly desires and to die to fleshly desires. This is what the scripture calls us to live. The Christian life then is a war between desires of the old life and a desire to follow the Spirit. The Bible lays out for the Christian that we are called to die to the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. In fact, it's clear for the Christian as long as we live in these fleshly bodies, we'll wrestle with desires because we live in the fleshly body. And guess what? It is not wrong for a Christian to, to struggle with these things. You're called to stand firm and fight. So don't let anyone tell you that, guess what, you're not a, or you're, you're some bad Christian because you're wrestling with these things. That's what we're called to do. We're called to daily die to the desires we once had because we have a new life. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're walking in His power. And so God calls us to now walk in the newness of life. Instead of walking after our sinful desires, we walk after the desires from the Lord. In fact, as one commentator said it, we are not sinful because we sin. We sin because we are sinful. We enter the world with a nature a pre, that, that is bent or predisposed to sin because of the fall. And the only remedy for this sin condition, which results in both physical and spiritual death, is to become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What are we saying here? Is that Christ rescues you out of the domain of darkness. He rescues you out of living to your fleshly sinful desires that you're bound and that you're a slave to. He breaks those shackles and now sets you free and causes you to walk now in a new way. But yet because we live in this fleshly bodies, we still have the vestiges of those things that we're wrestling with and we're struggling with at times. That's why there's things that sometimes you want to do that you don't do. Things you know you should do right that you don't. And that's a battle that we're in. But yet the scripture tells us how to fight. In fact, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 16 and 18, I say then, walk by the Spirit. 
walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly, listen to this, not carry out the desires of the flesh. That is how we fight. We walk then, instead of walking according to the flesh, giving into our fleshly desires, we die to those desires, and we walk according to the Spirit. That means we're leaning on the Holy Spirit. That means we're relying on the leading of the Holy Spirit to show us how to live, and we live according to the Spirit, not for the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. So the flesh itself desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. And the Bible says these are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. You ever wonder why you struggle as a Christian, and you struggle with things, right? You struggle with the things you want to do. This is because there's a battle that is happening. And guess what? The world doesn't play fair. Because the world knows how to use its weapons, and yet God calls us to do this. And he says, look, in the very end part of that verse, but if you are led by this Spirit, you're not under the law. Why? Because we're walking in the Spirit of life, and we're walking in the freedom that is found in Christ. Even in this chapter of Galatians, the Apostle Paul lays out for the early church and us those things of the flesh. He gives them not an all-exhaustive list, but he shows them, what are the works of the flesh? What are the things that you should say, I'm dying to? Why? Because it's your old way of living. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds. Hatreds, you see that there. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and factions. He envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. He says, like, anything similar. Anything that even comes remotely close to those things. Why? Because we're now people who are filled with the Spirit of God, and we're called to live according to the weight of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, self-control. The Spirit is against the things of the flesh. Here's the thing. We live in a culture where we pat our children on the back when they go out and live uh, promiscuous lifestyles. We actually set them up for that. We actually set them up and say, it's okay that you go out and live that way. It's okay that you do those things. In fact, for many boys, it's a rite of passage. They get patted on the back when they go violate somebody else's daughter for their own sinful desires. This is not how Christians are called to live. And how you know you're lining up with the things of the flesh? When you look at things that God says you're called to hate and despise as being okay. No, we are called to look at the things that God says are not godly and reject them. Secondly, he says the lust of the eyes. Well, then is this. Even if we think through this, our eyes, the things we see through, right, the windows even into our souls, right, these things appeal to our fleshly desires, which can lead to sin. You know, it's interesting. Somebody doesn't just hop in adultery. No, no, you've seen what you want. Then you act on that desire. You don't just fall into somebody else's bed. No, that is a willful decision to give in to the desires of the flesh. It's the idea of getting caught up with the outward show of things. This lust of the eyes. It's when we place a greater value on things that are truly not valuable at all. This is the fleshly desire that is never satisfied. It's the idea of you have the world, but you need more of it. This is the whole idea of gaining the world, that, like you losing your whole soul in the process. We have entire industries that are built on this, from car commercials to the latest fad. The whole porn industry is built on this alone. 
How can we appeal to you having more? Or how can we appeal to you having a better life than you had? For the Christian, guess what? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So we can say whatever the lot we've been dealt by the Lord, we can trust God that God can bring us through, that God can provide for us through. See, that is living against the world system that tells you you don't have enough. Your life doesn't have purpose. Your life doesn't have meaning. No, we look to the Lord and say, no, my God has given me purpose, meaning, and guess what? He is my portion and He is enough. You think about how people get addicted to social media, the likes and the retweets and all these things. Why? Because it releases that same chemical dopamine, the same thing is found in cocaine, and it releases it to us. And we say, you know what? Man, I need more. I need to be seen. I need to be heard. I need to show people a different life than the one that I have. No, my, my Christian brother and sister in Christ, the world tells you to hate your life because you don't have enough. Jesus tells you, love your life because He is enough. He tells you, guess what? My grace is sufficient that every spiritual blessing is is in me. All the things you need are found in Him. And guess what? When you come to the point where you feel like you don't have enough, you look to Him and say, my God is enough because He will provide for my needs and I can look to Him to say that His grace is sufficient. Lastly, we see this reality of having pride in one's possessions. I know a lot of times we love to get camped out right there on the sexual morality and, and those things, but I love the scripture. Again, it meets you at the front of your life. See, it deals with the stuff that we don't want to talk about. It deals with the things that we don't want to tell anybody else about, about the pride in one's possessions. This idea of boasting and having and doing all things in this world system that they say is important. It's the, it's the whole idea. We got to flex for the gram and we got to have this. And, and when you see this person is going on this vacation, so now I got to have this vacation. It is the whole idea of saying, look, I am achieving things that guess what are independent of God. You know, this whole idea of the self-made man. There is nobody who's self-made. No, you are dependent on the Lord whether you think you are or not. Because here's the thing, that very breath you're breathing, it is from Him. It's the one who holds all things in His hand. Guess what? He is the one who's given you anything you have. So no person exists dependent from God. You're rebelling against God because you love your sin more than you love Him. But guess what? God in His common grace is pouring out His favor even on your life to allow you to live. This is the idea of saying, I can exist without the Lord. It is putting before God all that He deems is not even important. We do that often. We, we often offer up to God and say, look, look at what I'm doing. Look at all the things I'm doing. Instead of saying, Lord, what is it that you desire me to live? This is the making of idols in our own lives. This is the person who says, look at what I've done outside of God. Yet think of the reverse. The person who actually gives God praise, yet all that they are doing is rooted in all that is against God. It's the person who's, you know, uh, making movies or making music or, or, or having an agenda that is anti-Christ, but then says, I want to give thanks to God for all the things I'm doing. How can you give God thanks when you're living anti-Him? But then the reverse is true too. We're saying, look, I, I'm doing all these things on my own. I have all my, no, we're humble before the, before the Lord. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. We want to be a people that recognize we have value, dignity, and worth because we're created in His image and likeness. And who we are, our value, dignity, and worth comes from Him, not based on what we have or don't have. Guess what? I have inherent dignity, value, and worth because I am human. 
because I'm made in his image. But guess what? For the Christian, not only are we made in the image and likeness of God, now we belong to the kingdom of God. And so his table is our table. And so we don't have to live like the world says. Notice the text ends in this very one verse right here. It says, these things are not from the Father, but from the world system. See, it covers all literally man's desires, sinful desires. We then are called to live not just as different, but we're called to live different because we have been changed. We have been transformed. So we live in that manner. We live with a kingdom value system. That means we live in a manner that says, God, I'm in this world system, and this world system does not play fair. It doesn't play fair. It's lure me with this and lure me with that. But Lord, I want to live with a kingdom value system. Why? Verse 17, the world is passing away. The world is passing away. This is our final point. John says, look, in the world with its lust, epithuma, right? This desire, this lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. What a contrast. What a contrast. Since the world is passing away, and the things of this world are passing away, every evil desire, the question we should pose then, why would we pursue those things that are passing away instead of things of God that are going to live forever? Notice the pursuit of the temporal will always result in a disappointment in the eternal. So when guess what? When you're pursuing only the temporal, guess what? What's going to happen is in the eternal, there's great disappointment. If we look back over history, nation after nation has passed away. Nation after nation that has made themselves higher up and saying, look how great we are, have passed off the scene. And guess what? Our country is no different. As as all the greatness and all these different things, one day America will be on the blip of eternity. But God's kingdom will last forever. And not only his kingdom, but those who do his will, those who are part of his kingdom will last forever. That is the good news that those who do his will, those who do his will, guess what? What is the will of God? The will of God is the thing that should control our lives. Ephesians 5.17 says this, so don't be foolish. I know we don't like to think about calling people foolish, but the Bible clearly says, don't be foolish. It is foolish not to know the will of God. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do we know the will of God? Well, it's first surrendering our entire lives. It's first coming and recognizing in humility that, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I've sinned. I, I need to come to you, Lord. I humble myself. It's surrender our lives. But how else do we know the will of God? It's not being conformed to this world in its way of thinking and living. See, if you're conforming only to this world, meaning you're allowing the world to be that cookie cutter on you and and cause you to live in a certain way, guess what's going to happen? You're going to live in a way that is contrary to the will of God. How else do we know the will of God? Well, we find his will through the word of God. The Word of God is where we find uh, the lamp unto our feet and the light to our path. The Word of God is where we stand to know for our faith, our life, our practice. No, we find His will through our Word, His Word. But we also discover His will through circumstances we face, but also through prayer. We can know God's will. We can know how God wants us to live and how God wants us to order our life. Those who love God desire to do the will of God. You get that? Those who love God desire to do the will of God and not to live according to the desires of the world. 
1 Peter 4, 2. It says it this way, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, look at this, no longer for human desires. So he's saying, look, in the time we have, we're called to live not according to our fleshly desires, but instead we're called to live for God's will. That is good news that God wants us to live according to his will in his way, his word, his way, his desires, which causes us to live fruitful and prosperous lives for the glory of God. The world system, it lures with its shiny materialism, its pride, its possessions, its sexual morality, its, its anger, its fighting, all these things. Yet, what is the promise from the Lord? In Philippians 3, 20 through 21, our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition. You see that. The world says, look, go after these things, and then you'll be great. The Bible says, look, your humble condition, God sees it. And guess what? One day soon, he will come and transform. So even if it seems we're losing out in this world system, we're gaining much because what we have on the inside will never waste away. And he says, look, a humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. So guess what? We don't have to pursue the world to say how great we're going to be and, and all these different things. We don't have to pursue the lust in this world. Why? Because one day we'll have a glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And if he subject everything to himself and we're in him, guess what? We're standing firm in victory with him as well. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, have you found more comfort in the world system or the kingdom of God? Comfort is a sin I struggle with. I love comfort. I, I love to be comfortable and God says, hey, look, I need you to give. I'm like, oh, I want to hold on to whatever money I have, God. Comfort is something we all may struggle with. But we can get comfortable in this world system. And instead of allowing our minds to be transformed and renewed, we can get comfortable in thinking just as the world thinks. And guess what happens? We end up being deceived. God doesn't want us to deceive. He wants us to think and know what he wants, to live for his kingdom. What about this one? Are you living for godly desires or fleshly desires? In fact, we don't have to go even too deep into that. You know if you're living for godly desires, and you know if you're living for fleshly desires. You may be struggling with that. But guess what? You, you heard already in the text that that is a part of this walk, right? We, we wrestle with these things, and it's okay that we're wrestling with those things. God gives us victory through Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. But it's a difference and living in those things. It's a difference in saying, you know what? Ah, this is just how I am. No, no Christian, no Christian can say that's just how I am. Why? Because we've been transformed. We've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so he wants us to live in a manner that glorifies him. Live and walking in the spirit. And here's the last one. What is one way you will live out the will of God this week? We've talked about how to know the will of God. Through reading the word, through prayer, through leaning into the Holy Spirit. What is God saying to you this week on how to live out his will? Maybe it's in your home, maybe it's on your job, maybe it's in your thinking. Wherever you find yourself, maybe you're watching this now and you're saying, look, I want to know and live out the will of God. God wants you to do that. But the first thing you can do if you're not a Christian to know the will of God is this the first thing. God's will 
is that Jesus Christ is the only way. And the only hope you could have in this life and the next is found in Christ. That is the will of God for salvation. And the way you can come into that is to repent of your sin, to place your faith and trust in Christ. If you've not done that, I want to encourage you to do that. Let us know, man, trust in Christ, repent of your sin, and follow Him in His will. But if you're a Christian and you're saying, you know what, I've not been really following the will of God, repent. Stop. Instead of going this way with the world, turn. Maybe you've been deceived. Maybe the devil's got you deceived and you're taking in all the things the world says. Reject that and trust in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you are the one who shows us how to think. You're the one who shows us how to live. And you're the one who shows us your will. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, those who are struggling and battling with sin, Lord, maybe the devil has beaten them down so much to where they feel as if you don't love them anymore. But Lord, we see that that's the reality of the Christian life until we are glorified. Lord, I pray that they would find encouragement, but Lord, I pray that they would continue to fight, dying to their sinful desires, but not in their own strength, in the strength of the Lord. I pray for those, Lord, who are, don't know you, Lord, who, needs to, who need to place their faith and trust in you, that they would look to you, trust you, and follow you. God, I thank you that you are walking with us. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. God, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.